Hey, Jen. Hey, Elise. I got a problem. Uh-oh. What's wrong? Sometimes people just don't listen. <gasps> oh, I hate it when that happens. Right? A lot of patience required. Kids don't listen. Adults yeah. don't listen. Babies don't listen. Oh, the babies. You know what's especially hard? What? When they're supposed to be born and oh, yeah. they don't listen. A little too cozy in there? I think so. Can you just imagine them just like folding up their little baby arms and saying, huh, no, I'm not coming out. Could they have a good reason? No. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Maybe maybe their parent is like a slow cooker instead of an Instapot. Oh. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I mean, that's that's like dinner taken all day versus like roast beef in 30 minutes. I know. Yeah. So sometimes babies are like, nope. And you gotta say, get out, baby. In the kindest, most gentlest voice. Right? Or with a kind little note that says, it's time to go. You're being evicted. Oh, a little eviction. Yep. It's time to leave the watery environment and come to the dry land. Yep. You know why we're going to talk about this today? Uh, I do, but I think I'm supposed to say I don't. <laughs> you always ruin my fun, Jess. Sorry, sorry. It's because you're listening to Pushing. Podcast? It's true. Where we talk about all things pregnancy, birth, and life with stubborn babies who have to get out. Ooh. I'm Elise McAllister, and I'd like to induce, I mean, introduce, <laughs> Jen Laird. Thank you. This is Jen Laird. Hi, Jen Laird. Hi there. Yeah, so sometimes you just got to kick a baby out. Oh, that sounds so harsh, Elise. It really does. And actually, I think that sometimes when we talk about induction... People really do imagine kicking a baby out and thinking about it being really harsh and fast. Uh, not so much. I would say, in my experience, the complete opposite, where it tends to take a bit more time. Yeah. You know effort. what I think about when I think about an induction? What? Pack all the movies. Oh, yeah. All the reading material. The patients. The patients. The snacks. The extra snacks, definitely. Oh, the extra the PJs as well. Ooh, extra PJs could be good. Definitely. You can paint your nails. Yeah. yeah. Put a little lotion on the feet. Oh, no, don't paint your nails at a hospital. That's rude. I think it's fine. No, it's not. That is stinky. I painted my nails yesterday, and I was like, woof, open a window. You're just using the wrong kind of nail polish, Jen. Apparently. Yeah, you can do all those things during an induction. There is no getting that show on the road quickly. Unless your body and your baby are ready to roll. Mm-hmm. All right. So. Today I, we're talking about induction. We are. Let's do it. Um, here's the thing, friends. We are um, not going to go to a very big topic, which is why one might be induced. Oh, my gosh. We could talk all day about all the reasons you might be induced. Yeah. And it's a really personal thing. 
And it's pretty medically complex and really varies from kind of um, area of the country that you live in or the world. And so we're going to kind of skim over that and go ahead and jump into some practical um, tips and tricks about induction, as well as kind of giving you a heads up for what to expect um, during an induction. So keep in mind, um, as we talk today and as you guys listen, is that Um, There is a wide variety of um, the way that induction is handled, Um, even in our area hospitals. um, The protocols in which they um, follow induction um, even change depending upon the provider of like, hey, I really see great results from using this type of induction versus this type, that type of thing. So um, we're not giving you hard, fast rules. We're giving you knowledgeable generalizations. Wait, let's try that word again. I'm going to go with hard, fast rolls every time. Oh, Elise. I know. Sorry. Rolling of one's eyes over here. I will be general. All right, fine. Okay, so induction. Let's talk about it. Yeah. So can we just talk about, like, the big induction elephant in the room, like the time thing, like we were just saying. Why is it not... Fast. I feel like mm, why is it if fast? you have this reason mm. for inducing and everybody is in agreement that a baby should be born, why does it take so dang long? Because there is no magic induction pill that is on the market today. That's why. Uh, there are lots of medications that could help with inductions, but none of them can magically change your cervix yep. immediately and cause your body to contract and get ready for your baby coming out right away. In fact, some medications that are used for induction methods are actually labeled or were created to um, work against other um, body issues other than bringing... Like off-label use, right? Off-label. That's a fancy word of saying they were created for other things besides inducing a baby, inducing a labor. It's not inducing a baby. We induce labor, not babies. The babies are there. Yeah, but it's the body trying to do a process. So um, let's think about this. So if we're helping to induce a body to get into labor, as any of you know who have listened to our podcast before, we talk often about how early labor is typically a long, slow process of your body figuring out um, how to do this thing called labor. Right? Oh, like Let's go back to the Magic School Bus Cervix episode. Oh, yeah? And let's, can we just for a moment all jump into our Magic School Bus and drive up the vagina again? Oh, yes. Okay, please. everybody jump into your Magic School Bus and into the vagina we go. Let's go Here up we to are. that cervix. So before your induction uh-huh. or your labor begins, either way, right, um, your, body, your, your body is not starting labor, right? That's why you're being induced. If your right. body was ready and in the beginning of labor, you wouldn't be start, You wouldn't have an induction. You would just be in labor. So your cervix is not ready. So hmm. it's likely long, potentially, uh-huh. maybe even pointing towards your back. Uh-huh. Your cervix might be firm like your nose. Not soft like your cheek. Mm-mm. Um, everybody touch your nose. Everybody oh, touch yeah. your cheek. I did it just now. It's true. And those are all, and it's also, so we talked about long. So it needs to get short. It needs to get soft. And it needs to do this little move where it comes from your back to the front. And Fancy way of saying going from being in a posterior position to an anterior position in the body. 
Oh, you're so fancy, Jen. I know, I'm fancy. <sighs> All right, so your cervix has a lot of work to do, and we're not even talking about dilation yet, which uh -uh. everybody knows is the star. Everybody gets all excited about that dilation that has to happen. Yep. So we're not even at the dilation point, and that cervix has a ton of work to do, right? Hmm. So there needs to be some medication that helps that happen, and then when that's done, then there needs to be some dilation. Ah, so and we're talking about kind of prepping the area first. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yep. Getting the cervix, a word that's often thrown around, is ripe. Yep. I love it when you compare it to a juicy pear. Oh, yes. Drive that school bus to the juicy pear. <laughs> so with the juicy pear anatomy analogy, what we're thinking about is the cervix being like a pear. So you go to the grocery store, you buy the pear, you're like, oh yeah, it's too hard, gonna put it in the paper bag, wait a few um, days, and then put your hand in the paper bag to pull out the juicy pear, and you realize, oh wow, this pear is so juicy that the skin, when you when you touch it, it actually like changes, right? I just think about that pear or the cervix going whoop, Oh, right? it just goes yeah. Up and it's just like gone, it right? changes quickly. Yeah. Right. So what we're talking about is that typically in the first part of an induction, what we're trying to do is get that cervix ripe or ready to change. Um, it's like trying to I'm trying to think of another analogy. It's trying to tr um, trying to change something that's not ready to change yet. You got to you got to get it. There's another step in between that. So. Should we talk about ways to yes. ripen that cervix? Let's do it. So the ways that you might start. So I have been seeing and hearing lately, um, what I'm seeing is a lot of times that inductions start at night. Uh-huh. Which seems makes kind of odd, right? To me at first. I mean, it makes sense to us and those who have had an induction. But if you've never had an induction, you might think, why would I ever go in and begin labor at night? Hmm. Well, if your cervix isn't ready, you go in at nighttime and they gently begin things. Hmm. You don't need to have contractions that feel like active labor at the very beginning mm. to just soften your cervix, shorten it, and get it to come around from the back to the front. Yep. So a couple of options you might get would be something like a Foley catheter or a balloon catheter, some people call it. Um, and that is a catheter that's slipped inside of your cervix and the little balloon area gets filled up with some fluid that, and it mimics your baby's head sitting on the cervix. So it puts some pressure on the cervix. And the hope is that you fall asleep. That puts pressure on your cervix and makes change. And somewhere around three, four centimeters, that balloon falls right on out and your cervix has made some change. So you've done a great job describing to me about what that, first of all, get a little scared. You just said catheter. Oh, yes. Uh, secondly, you just said it mimics a baby's head. Ow. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about this. Yeah, let's talk about this some more. Yeah. So sometimes it's not super comfortable to have placed, especially if you've got one of those cervixes that uh, is pointing towards your back because so. it can be a little hard to reach for mm -hmm. the provider. 
So that's not always a great time. Uh, for some, though, your cer- their cervix is pretty front and center and yep. is not that uncomfortable. The S- catheter itself is not huge. It's actually a bladder catheter. Uh-huh. So not meant to be... It's not huge because it goes inside the urethra, typically. Gotcha. Uh, but you're not putting a... This isn't going in my urethra, right? No, it's going no. inside your cervix. Excellent. Okay. And like the bus... Is inside your vagina, straight on up, right? So, <laughs> I love how I sound like I've never heard of this, and I don't know you're what like, you're talking about. What is about. that? Um, I very much know all of these things. Um, <laughs> just in case you were to uh, Just in case they're like, seriously, I hope that lady doesn't show up to my bar. She doesn't know anything. Um, okay, so how does this feel? Well, it feels, can feel quite sore. At, if during placement, all the way to other people are like, meh, it didn't feel any different than having a um, vaginal exam. A little uncomfortable, but not crazy sore, right? So um, once that gets set up, that um, that catheter could be in you for hmm, how many hours, Elise? Up to 12. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I guess experiences can vary with it quite a bit, yep. right? Um, sometimes it can stay in for just a few hours. Sometimes it can stay in for several hours. Sometimes it's uncomfortable the whole time. And sometimes it's not uncomfortable mm. ever. Um, often the hope is, especially going in at night, is that you get comfortable, you lay down, and you go to sleep. Mm. Wake up in the morning and dilation has happened. Mm. And your cervix is ready. And then... You move on to the next phase, which is starting some contractions. Yep. So kind of um, working in two processes there is one that we're trying to prep the cervix for change, um, as well as get just a tad bit of dilation um, happening. And then the idea behind that is that anything that kind of messes with the cervix during this time in pregnancy is more likely to um, result in labor contractions that start out on their own versus from a medication, for instance, because in this is not medication. This is a manual, essentially, change of your cervix. Yep. Yeah. So there's hormones that are released every time there's some, you know, stirring of your uh, cervix, yep. right? Makes sense. That, and that, you know, so the fact that there isn't any medication is actually kind of a bonus, right? Yep. So if your body or your baby isn't a fan of this and doesn't tolerate it, they just remove it. Yep. And exactly. Done, right? Yep. Where other things, once it's in your body, it cannot be removed from yep. your body. Yep. So this all gets set up, and then typically um, you will be encouraged to go to sleep as well as your partner. Um, probably having some cramp-like sensations in your lower abdomen. Um, Some folks um, request of their provider to be given a sleep aid, aka a sleep medication that will just help, you know, something pharmaceutical to kind of help them get into a sleep. Yeah, let's talk about that because, you know, these hospital beds are not... They're not not your pillow top king at home. There's no down feathers going on. Oh gosh, no. So you're in this new bed. You've got somebody coming in, taking your blood pressure often. You've got, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to get into labor here. And you have to hurry up and fall asleep. Probably some adrenaline happening. For sure, right? And 
that that's a lot. It's a lot knowing. Yep. You got to hurry up and get rested because of what's to come. So uh-huh. it can be helpful to have a sleep aid if yep. that feels cool to you and to your provider. Yep. Other options after that would be, or not necessarily after that, but um, some other options might be things to help soften and, or ripen, if you're thinking of like that pear. Um, mm-hmm. Ripen your cervix would be misoprostol, also known as Cytotec. That's the, um, the drug name for it. Yep. And then another option would be Cervidil, which is a gel that goes on your cervix. Misoprostol is a pill that's typically taken orally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so both of those help to ripen and change your cervix. Misoprostol can cause some contractions, certainly. Question yes, from the peanut Jen. gallery. So my friend's experience was this. I'm trying to use a whiny voice. <laughs> like I'm trying to mock Everybody somebody. with friends are whining. I know. <laughs> I'm not trying to mock anybody. Um, so my experience was this. My friend, she took, um, she had a, a bladder, ca- uh, a balloon catheter. Why can't I have that if I'm going to start my induction? Why are they going straight to the meds? Okay, I'm going to actually answer my own redundant question here. Everybody's body's different. Everybody's uh place that they're at in labor. Um, I've known clients who um, their cervix is pointing so posterior, it's actually not possible for the um, provider to get to that cervix. And so using a catheter at that point or a balloon would um, not be a great idea because you can't get to it. Or it's so closed, you can't put anything in it. No. So which would make um, that pharmaceutical medication we've just talked about the option right to help um make that cervix more welcoming um to change so um hear us say that we're not advocating for or against any type of um induction because this is really a discussion that your um your provider has with you and it really depends on what's happening in your body this is certainly not a step one two three no process this is um, each induction method is as individual as your body and your labor is. Absolutely. Your baby, okay. Because there's, there's no one way to go about it. And we certainly don't see no. the same thing every time no. either. No. Uh, so let's say um, I've gotten that misoprostol pill and then I'm going to sleep. And then a nurse is going to come in about four hours later and say, okay, time to take that other pill. And then you take another one. Mm-hmm. And that usually um, lasts the whole night long where about every four hours you're having that um, morning light comes have some breakfast in the room um, new shift change with a new nurse potentially a new doctor as well and then there's some face-to-face conversation then with your provider about um, what's the next step for today in the morning light um, and again, this depends on how much progress your body has made overnight. Yeah, some people with just the mesoprostol will start contracting all on their own. Yep. Um, one of the things about mesoprostol um, is that you need to be monitored the yep. entire time. So uh, we've talked about this in the uh, birth plan episode, but you would need continuous monitoring. So mm-hmm. if intermittent monitoring was on your birth plan, that would change most likely to uh, continuous monitoring. Yep. Yep. But it, because it's a pill, you don't necessarily have to have an IV at this point. Right. 
So we're probably still kind of approaching this as this is early labor, folks. This is not where we expect our body to making tons of change because it's early labor, right? So the sorts of things that you were doing at um, planning to do at home during early labor, which is not count every single contraction. Oh, can we just extra not count every single contraction exactly. because you have a machine doing it for you? Yeah. 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 So what are you going to do? So um, getting distracted is the name of the game. Um, I'm thinking about, oh, Elise, you can bring your puzzle. <laughs> I know. Uh, the, the downside is there are very few places to do a large That's puzzle true. in a hospital. Good point. So Elise likes puzzles and Jen would rather puzzles. be in labor than do a puzzle. So there's that. Um, so you're going to bring some things to distract yourselves. Maybe you have downloaded some movies onto your laptop. Um, they often have TVs in hospitals, but, um, you know, watching some Netflix while you're waiting for things to progress. Um, sometimes people even like to have some visitors during the day, um, to kind of chat with them. If you're not super uncomfortable, then that could be a way to get you, um, distracted. Um, maybe you're playing some games on your phone or a board game. Eating some food. Definitely eating some food. Maybe even going for some walks, um around to get out of that room yeah and um also taking some naps so um i don't like to see people in early labor doing tons and tons and tons of physical movement i mean some sure great but you don't need to be lunging for no, 12 hours no nobody actually can lunge for 12 <laughs> hours like if that's you can, ridiculous you're amazing i cannot if you lunge. can i hate you that's just ridiculous right? yeah um, so it is just like being at home where you're going to nap sometimes and you're going to walk around sometimes and um, try to, you know, get some motion, but also don't wear yourself out. Right. Um, OK, so um, when that provider comes in, then you're often making a plan for the day. How many more doses of this medication are you going to have? Is that um, balloon catheter going to be taken out? And then with the information you have from that, you make that decision about um, next steps. Some folks would move on to Pitocin, which... Oh, wait, hold on. Say, oh. the, say the word again. Pitocin? Dun, dun, dun. Oh, are you using your scary sounding uh, voice? What? Slash sound effect? Yes. Okay. Okay, where did that sound originate from? I dun, don't know. dun dun I don't know. Anyway. But here's the thing. This ain't your mama's Pitocin. Oh yeah. Let's oh let's Can go. We there. just talk about this not being your mama's Pitocin. Yep. Pitocin gets a bad rap. I am Poor so glad Pitocin. I'm not Pitocin. I feel sorry for Pitocin. I mean Pitocin's not like I mean Pitocin's not the victim here. Let's like let's yeah. not pity Pitocin. That's true. Okay. But like Pitocin gets a really bad rap that it doesn't always deserve. Everybody's always talking trash about Pitocin. Here's the deal. We want to use interventions such as Pitocin as tools to help us get a baby out of our body. Often, the goal is vaginally. So how do we do this? Some people feel like Pitocin's a jackhammer. Yeah. And sometimes that is the case. And sometimes it's not. In fact, Jen and I have both been to births in the last week. Oh, true. Yep. Where there has been a Pitocin induction. Yep. 
and no epidural. Oh. So I think what we're trying to tell you guys is um, often uh, when people are telling their birth stories, they're saying, oh, man, I had an induction. I had to have Pitocin. So, of course, I had to get um, an epidural because that was just so intense I couldn't even handle it. I I don't doubt them. Oh, me neither. But I would say that's word on the street. Totally word on the street. Every time. And we want to remember that human bodies are, as such, human bodies which process stimulus all completely different. So my idea of what is uh, really stressful is not necessarily Elisa's idea of what is stressful, right? Everybody knows Elise has a handle stress as well as Jen. (laughs) (laughs) In some areas of life. And um, so it is... It is where we use non-judgmental kindness, compassion, and patience with who we are as humans, right? Jen likes to say we make the best decision with the information we have. In this moment. In this moment. Right? Because it's not about that birth plan. It's not about what you thought you were going to do. It's about being confident in the decision that you have right now. It is interacting with the right now, not the what I thought or what I hope, but actually where am I at right now? Right. And I I feel like there's been so many times where I've talked with folks and they're like, absolutely under no circumstance do I want Pitocin. And I used to see uh, it a lot on birth plans. Like totally. no Pitocin, you know, bullet point. And that's not realistic. Like you can't just say no Pitocin because you never know. Okay, right. I got a little story for you. Gather around. Gather around. Circle, gather around on the rug. I'll tell Sit you a little, down. Let Auntie Elise tell you a little story. So once upon a time, there was a, um, a lovely couple who were planning to have a baby, uh-huh. and her water broke. Oh. Uh-huh. And she had no contractions. Oh. And the hours went by, and she had no contractions. Oh. Mm-hmm. And more hours went by, and she had no contractions. Oh. So had this person, shall we give her a name? Let's call her Jane. Okay, Jane. Jane, Jane Doe. Oh, Mrs. Doe. Jane did not have contractions. Oh, okay. Jane's water just broke, and nothing happened. Mm. And so Jane went on in, and she got Pitocin. If Jane didn't get Pitocin... She might not be in labor to this day and might be <laughs> four years pregnant. But because Jane went and had Pitocin, she has a baby. Well, now she has a preschooler. Yeah. Be like Jane. No. <laughs> you don't have to be like Jane. But no. Jane chose what she needed to do to get her baby out of her body. So Jane yeah. used Pitocin as a tool. Right. So I think um, Pitocin can get a bad rap when... Um, it is used um, for reasons, and again, we're trying not to get too deep into describing why induction is is suggested by a provider. But um, Pitocin has gotten a bad rap, I think, when the baby and the mom are not at a point where they're probably ready for this to happen, um, or when it is used to speed up a labor. So, oh, Especially you're con- a labor that's moving along just fine. Yes. yes. So um, I think what we're just trying to do is highlight some of the reasons why Pitocin can get that bad rap. Um, but 
we would like to keep an open mind towards Pitocin and any other potential tool that we have in our toolbox where we are able to look at what is the benefits and what is the risk of any different intervention or tool that we have. And there are risks and benefits, you guys, to everything. Um, Absolutely. Like Jane. I mean, if she did not have Pitocin, there would have been a lot of risk to having her water broken for a very long time. Right. And so Jane weighed the risks and benefits of Pitocin versus being ruptured, as we call it, for several hours. And for her, she used Pitocin as a tool instead Mm -hmm. of an intervention. Exactly. Um, So Pitocin is not always the bad guy. Nope. It is a helpful tool that we have in our toolbox when used accordingly. So another reason we say this is not your mama's Pitocin is that they have changed the guidelines for how much and how often it is increased. Mm -hmm. So it's not like turning it way up and be like, bam, here's all your Pitocin. And of course, that can lead to babies not doing well with this, um, all these contractions that are coming on suddenly and heavily right all right but let we live in seattle where birth is like you know daisies and polka dots if that's a way to describe birth. daisies and polka dots yep okay but what if i live in a place where birth isn't daisies and polka dots and they do start the pitocin really high and they move it up really fast Mm -hmm. um what am i gonna do I think you can advocate for yourself and ask questions and say, hey, I'm cool with Pitocin, but I want it to be, I want to start it at one and I want to move it up by one every hour. Right. Or ask, what can we do? How do we... How do we move this up slowly so it doesn't feel like a freight train? Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I think what we're really encouraging rather than um, a specific script for how to talk to your provider is more just having conversation with your provider. And the phrase that you could use would be, um, can you tell me some of the risks and benefits of using Pitocin? Mm-hmm. Or using it um, in that high of a dose, for instance. So, um there would be then an explanation of what's happening and also an ability for you to feel involved in the process, right? So you might even go back to our episode where we talk about brain. Uh Uh-huh. And let's just do a quick little review that um, bringing your brain to birth looks like the benefits, risks, alternatives, intuition, and then what's next or what if you did nothing would Mm -hmm. be the end. So taking a look at all of those and making a decision based on brain. So the start of that Pitocin may really kick you into high gear. Like, whoa, these are contractions. And whoa, this is labor. Um, Having to do some of that rhythmic breathing, um, doing movement in your body, using all these different tools that you've prepared for, this is what labor is going to look like. Or here's what it could look like. Twiddling your thumbs and watching Netflix all day. Wait. I thought Pitocin is the bad guy. I just got all this Pitocin and I'm sitting here watching Netflix. Exactly. So everybody responds differently to Pitocin. Everybody is different. Exactly. So um, to one person in in the room next door, it might be rip-run labor, contractions that are like three to four 
um, minutes apart, lasting for a minute almost from the get-go. And then next door is this other person who's experiencing like, meh, next Netflix movie, please. They're feeling little cramps, like they got their period, and that's about it. So this is the beauty, my friends, of the human body, the variations in our different experience, the way that our body is ready for labor. And sometimes the frustration of the human body, but does not necessarily mean that your body is not going to... Nope. Move along. Nope. Some just take longer to respond. Case studies. All right. Mesoprostol overnight, Pitocin up to the max of comfortability for the provider during the day. Towards evening, provider comes in, has a little heart to heart conversation with the client, and says, You know what? We're going to turn off the Pitocin overnight. You guys get a good night's sleep, and we're going to try again in the morning. Next day, Pitocin starts again. And there is quite a bit of a difference. And this person goes, oh, yeah, this is labor. And away they go. So another person having um, that mesoprostol, got their cervix a little bit ripe and ready to go, a little bit of Pitocin, and man, they're jogging along now in the labor. And they have a baby by that evening. So that's what we talk about with inductions being very dependent on what's happening with your baby and your body and how um, it also has to do with position of baby, right? Is that baby in a good position to put um, some pressure on the cervix and to make things change? Um, So when you prep for an induction, know that you could have a very similar... um, birth time, meaning the amount of time that you're in labor, as if you'd started labor at home and, you know, did your little thing. Um, But you could also end up spending a good number of days using various medications to help this contractions um, get established and go. Yep. And this is not, you know, your cervix is not a crystal ball. Uh, But there is a way that your providers can get a sense of how ready your body is for an Mm. induction, and that is with your Bishop score. So your provider, I know. So your provider, um, if you're if you're in person seeing your provider when they say, "Hey, I think we need to do an induction," might actually assign you a Bishop score based on how ready your body is. And based on that, so they give you a, a little number, and it says how likely a an induction is to be successful. Mm. Um, so the higher the number, the more likely it is to be successful. That being said, sometimes the benefit of starting an induction at a lower number outweighs the risk of weighing, uh, right. waiting. Sorry. Um, so uh, it's not always about waiting until you're, you're high up there. So recently we had a client that um, said – Hey, if they were so um, wanting me to be induced because of a particular reason, why is it they're okay with waiting two to three days um, for labor to really start with all of these different medications? And I said, very valid question. (laughs) Um, And the answer to that in that particular situation was, we want to be working towards 
um, a baby being born sooner than later. So you're not in an emergent category, meaning there's an emergency here. We need to see this baby soon. Didn't have, a, have to do with the baby's heart rate, et cetera. But um, there was other predetermined factors there along that. And so it really made sense to me what this um, parent was thinking of like, wait, how did we get told we need to have this baby sooner and later, but we've been in the hospital trying for this for two days, huh? Well, I think it's also important to remember that that baby's being monitored the entire exactly. time. And you're in the hospital versus, you know, being at home waiting for labor to start, which exactly. there's no monitoring. Not to say that being at home and not being monitored is a risk. No, it's not just at all. that if you become high risk and there's a need for an induction, then it's probably good to be monitored. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. All right, so let's talk about finding out you're going to get induced and how to prepare for that Mm. in so many ways because that can be a big surprise for some people. For others, you know way ahead that, hey, this is on the horizon. I can't go past, you know, X number of weeks or this date or I'll be induced. And for others, they go in for a prenatal visit and they get some news and the provider says, head home, grab your stuff, or not, um, and let's begin this induction. So let's talk about how to prepare both physically and emotionally. Yeah. So from a physical standpoint, I think we kind of mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast, you want to pack a little bit extra food, snacks that you can have, um, you know, readily available in the hospital. Um, Things to stay busy with. Yep. Things to stay busy with. Um, Maybe definitely bring chargers for computer phone etc um bring your pillow oh and yeah bring your partner's pillow yeah because you might be spending a couple extra nights there and want to be really cozy or a blanket that's really cozy of your own you know from home not the queen size duvet off of your bed <laughs> um, i really like my queen size duvet i don't know it's no nice. no 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 it you, would be big you do not want that and in the hospital white. No, my friend, no. <laughs> what I'm thinking of is that um, comfy, soft um, blanket that you curl up on the couch with that is more like twin size. Oh, yeah. The Definitely bring watching, that. The movie yeah. watching. Yeah. Blankie. You might um, bring some aromatherapy type stuff. Hospitals tend to smell like... I don't know. Hospitals. Um, No candles, please, friends. No candles. Oh, but those battery-operated candles are so great, Jen. And some people even bring like little twinkly Christmas tree lights. Yeah, those are nice. Here's why. They give a nice little ambiance in the room, and they're not those darn overhead fluorescent-y icky lights, right? Yes. When you take your hospital tour, take a look and find out if your hospital has dimmable lights Uh versus on or off fluorescent lights yep. only slippers my friends slippers oh the slippers because grippy socks are weird so weird just weird so weird no um they got grippy socks in the hospital they'll give you but you can't walk around barefoot in a hospital i mean you could but a that's gross and b <laughs> just don't um no actually just ha- don't the people would yeah Nurse is going to say, hey, can you put some shoes on? Like, just don't walk around barefoot. Socks or or slippers. Slippers. Maybe flip-flops, but I'd say go for the socks or slippers. Um, anything else, Elise? Extra pair of PJs. A bathrobe. Oh, yeah, a bathrobe. Probably not, you know, if it's summer, not the big old terry cloth one that you got for Christmas. A little lighter than that. Yeah. Um, and any toiletries you want. Yeah. 
Because if I'm not going to do this, I'm going to want to shower. Totally. And I might even want my makeup, just personally. I'm yeah. just that person. You know, I'm not going to feel like myself if I don't have those things. <laughs> I know. Jen's rolling her eyes at me. I'm rolling my eyes. Like, seriously. Hey, I birth and makeup. I know you do. Even so- on my white duvet at home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, red lipstick, red white lipstick duvet. at home. There we go. That's me in um, a nutshell. Okay. Communicate with friends and family. Let them know to not expect a birth announcement uh, five hours after you arrive at the hospital for an induction. Oh, can we communicate with them about this like Set before the expectation? Induction? Like way before, can you just let them know like, hey, I've got an induction and this is another quick process. Like don't call it's them be from your induction and say that. Like tell yeah. them ahead of time. Yeah. Set the stage there. And not to be worried if it's taking a little bit of time because remember, you're being monitored. Baby's being monitored. They're looking out for your health and well being. Have them touch their nose and feel a firm cervix. So, can a baby come through this? No. See, even Jen is still touching her nose. I'm touching She's my nose. has to remember what a firm cervix is. I do. Like. Otherwise, I'll just forget. Yep, I get it. Okay. <sighs> Emotions. Oh. A lot of those might not be what you are planning and there might be some fear involved in this because we do know that um the risks associated with um some other interventions having to do with um an induction do increase right but i think mostly what we're thinking about is um this wasn't what you thought you had your little beautiful laid plans about what you were going to do in early labor at home, who you were going to call, what was going to happen. And now you're in the hospital, but you're not even contracting yet. You might have some adrenaline or some anxiety over this. Yeah. It's just did not start the way you were thinking it would. So take that time to pause and deal with those emotions. It is okay to be frustrated. It is okay to be relieved. It is okay to have all the emotions that you have. And it's okay to sit with them for a bit. And then... Oh, you just said relieved. I love that. Yeah. You might also feel so excited that finally you are not going to be pregnant anymore and you are going to get this baby out of your body. And you're not waiting you know when this is going to start. No more having to worry about your water breaking uh, in the car or yep. at the grocery store or at work. You don't have to worry that your partner is at work or traveling Total. or wherever or that if you have another kid that your child care isn't available. So now I'm just selling induction. I know. That's what I was going to say. So all <laughs> of these things that Elise has talked about are true. But I think we're going to keep going back to what Elise and I often talk about, which is in one hand, we hold all the things she's talked about. And then the other hand, we hold a different feeling about this of, um, man, I'm disappointed or I'm scared. I thought I had an understanding of what birth was going to look like, but now this is not what I was planning, and it feels a little scary. The unknown of how long is this going to take, um, what's the discomfort level going to be, um, when is my kid's birthday going to be? If Elise and Jen told me that it might last more than 24 hours, then sure, I'm started on this process, but how many days am I going to be here before I see a baby? And every single one of those that you just listed are actually things that you might be thinking 
if your labor just started on its own totally. as well, though. Yeah. Yeah. Really normal fears and worries that yeah. could come up. All of that makes a lot of sense. So our encouragement is to let those feelings be there, to release the ones that need to be released, and otherwise try to be at peace with the way your story is unfolding. Um, I can think about the beginning of each of my children's um, births in a very different way, and um, meaning all of them look different, of what my body was doing, of what my kid's body in my body was doing, and... Um, I think I know this sounds cliche because I'm not the one having a baby here, but I got to say, I kind of trust the process, right? I trust the process. Um, and I think we also want to encourage you. You're going to be okay. You can do this. You can make decisions in the moment. You can make choices that resonate with you in the moment rather than being, um, judgmental of yourself for making a choice that you thought you wouldn't. So what you're saying, Jen, is the most important thing that you need to pack is your F word. <gasps> Which one? Flexibility. Thank you. So true. Yeah. It really is. because Don't forget your flexibility. Parenthood, for some folks from the very beginning, particularly in the case of an induction, feels like they're not in control feels like they have to trust the process and they have to trust in what's going to be is going to be. And I think that's a similar way to how parenting often feels like. I have to trust my kid to make the decisions that are best for them and with um, the backbone that I've given them and the way that I've loved them. And then I now have to just kind of trust that they're going to make the best decision with where they're at right now, right? So welcome to parenthood, my friends, in some ways, where it does feel rather out of control. And yet we want to encourage you, keep asking questions of your provider so you don't feel like you have no say, so you don't feel like you're left in the dark, so that fears and anxiety don't build up in your heart. Induction does not have to be done to you. No, it can be done with, with you. you. You are a partner in your induction. Absolutely. You get to make these choices and you will feel differently. Yeah. If you are asking the questions and feeling like you are a partner in this induction yeah. and present in all the steps along the way instead of just um, feeling as though it's happening to you. Yeah. So asking questions and showing up for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with that, um, we encourage you to pack your F word, bring your flexibility. Yes. Know that we trust this and you yeah. can too. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and, um, I, I think as a practical tip as well, if you're facing an induction, I would really highly suggest you sit down before, um, that last appointment with your provider before the induction and write down a list of questions. How do you typically start an induction, for instance? Are there any other things you would suggest I bring? Um, you know, what, um, what, what can are, I expect out of this experience? What are their typical protocols? Yeah, yeah. Anything else that came up from this episode, write them down and bring them to your appointment right. if you have an appointment with your provider before an induction. So open communication, I think, is really smart. Um, as 
doulas, um, we don't usually talk a ton about what an induction looks like with our clients unless they um, have reason to discuss that with us. And here's the reason for that is that we don't want to fill people's heads with too many unpredictable outcomes, meaning, hey, if you go into labor, spontaneous labor, then here's what you're going to do and how you're going to stay in touch with us versus, hey, if you have an induction, here's the way you're going to talk to us, you know, stay in touch with us. Here's when we're going to join you, et cetera. So I think it's also good to communicate with if you have a doula, um, when would you typically join me in labor? What does that look like for you? Um, and to ask some questions as well of your labor support team. Absolutely. So. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening this week. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and on Instagram for Pushing It Podcast. And you can also email us any questions you have mm-hmm. or ideas for topics at podcasters at pushingitpodcast.com. Yay. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.